uh, chapter 3 and verse 9. He says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. Now, there's many ways to honor the Lord. You're honoring the Lord this morning with your attendance. You're here in his house to meet with him according to the teachings of his word. You've honored him with the singing of the hymns. I feel like it was an honor to him with the fervent prayer of Brother John. And now you are sitting there expecting to hear something from the word of God that he gave us, and that honors him. We honor him in many different ways, or at least we can. But here Solomon gives a particular way. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. If you do that, he says, your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses shall burst out with new wine. That's a picture of prosperity. It's a picture of blessings, a picture of being fruitful. Now, we have this principle taught in a number of places, like we come to the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10. And the Lord said, bring all your tithes into the storehouse, that there might be meat in mine house. And he says, see if I'll improve me, and see if I'll open up the windows of heaven unto you, and pour you out a blessing, that you wouldn't be able to receive the fullness thereof. Now, the New Testament church is not under a system of tithing. But we are under a system of giving and honoring the Lord. We find here Solomon says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. Notice the emphasis on the first fruits. The Lord said in Matthew 6:33, To seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added unto you. We find in 1 Corinthians 16 and 1, where Paul says, Upon the first day of the week, as I've given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do I unto you, that everyone lay aside in store as God has prospered him. In the ceremonial law, in the Old Testament, under the ceremonial law, of course we have the tabernacle and the temple where the priest operated and offerings and sacrifices was made, etc. There were four categories of people in that day that needed special attention or assistance. There was the stranger who had come among the Israelites from outside their boundaries. There was the poor. And there was the Levite. When the land of Canaan was settled, the Levites did not get an inheritance from the standpoint of land. The Bible says the Lord was their inheritance. And their duty and responsibility was to take care of the tabernacle. There was a lot of work that had to be done. The offerings, the sacrifices, the taking it down, the moving it and setting it back up, etc., and so the other 11 tribes were under the law of God to tithe according to their blessings. And from these tithes, the Levites were supported. And the poor were supported. And the widows were supported. Uh, the stranger was supported. Now, the New Testament church operates on giving as well. We realize there are expenses in the house of God. There's electric bill to pay. There's insurance. There's repairs, there's replacements, there's outside work to be taken care of, inside work, etc. We find a special emphasis in the New Testament to support the poor and also to support the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that is the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, where the ministers can give their time, their mind, their bodies to
to the proclamation and preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sets forth the principles of giving to us very clearly in 2 Corinthians 9 and 6. He says, And every man know that he that soweth sparingly shall reap sparingly, but he that soweth bountifully shall reap bountifully. As every man so purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, not necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And he says, in God, and notice this is a wonderful statement of God's providence. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in everything, may abound unto every good work. What a promise that is. God is able, isn't he? God is able to make all grace abound toward you. God can providentially bless you. And he says, you have an always all sufficiency in all things that you might abound to every good work. Again, I just quoted this a minute ago, but 1 Corinthians 16, 1. He says, that I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so I do unto you. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay aside as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. When we put these verses together, we see that the Lord's people, in support of the New Testament church, and the things in the New Testament church need to operate and function as they should, we find the Lord's people should give systematically. They should give consistently, very thoughtfully, very prayerfully. Give as the Lord has prospered you. That requires some consideration and thoughtfulness. And again, much prayer. We're to give cheerfully, not out of necessity, uh, you know, not grudgingly or necessity, because God loves a cheerful giver. God wants you to be cheerful when you give. And certainly God has set the great example of that, has he not? Everything we have and possess is because God has given it to us. And the greatest gift of all is that unspeakable gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. What greater gift could be that than God gave his only begotten son to live for us, die for us, redeem us, justify us, reconcile us, pay the ransom price we could not pay so that one day we'd be with him in heaven and immortal glory. Now, notice what he says. He says, honor the Lord with thy substance. And what will be the result? Your barns will be filled with plenty. In that day, obviously, the Israelites uh, sowed their grains. There's the, the wheat, the barley, etc. And depending upon God's blessings upon the land, he says, if you honor me with your substance, your barns will be filled. Your barns will be full. And your presses shall burst out with new wine. Not old wine, but new wine. That can't be the case if they didn't have the vineyards producing very fruitfully to be able to do so. This is God saying, you honor me, I'll honor you. I'll bless you in return. So he says, honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. Now I want to look at the New Testament just for a moment here this morning and look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ as described to us very clearly in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I want to see the case where there were those who honored the Lord with their substance. I'd like to begin in Matthew chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 2, we're introduced to some wise men. And these wise men saw a star in the east. And they followed that star. God put it in their hearts to follow that star. And that star led them to Jerusalem and eventually to Bethlehem. And we find where when they arrived, they made this statement. They said, where is he that's born king of the Jews? For we've come to worship him. Now, they're called wise men. We don't know how many men there were. I know people like to say there were three because they're going to wind up giving 
three gifts to the Lord Jesus Christ, but that's certainly unsubstantiated. We know it's more than one because it calls them men, M-E-N, so we know it's more than one, right? But anyway, these wise men came, and we're going to see why they were called wise men. First of all, they followed the star that God sent to them to lead them. That's a sign of wisdom right there. They came to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a sign of wisdom. These men sought the Lord Jesus Christ. They were seekers. They came to worship him. And they came to honor him with their substance. And so they followed that star, first of all, to Jerusalem. And then from there over to Bethlehem. And they came where the young child was. Now nine times in Matthew chapter 2, we're told that the Lord Jesus Christ at this stage was a young child. Now, I think the young childs had put together the fact that Herod had all the children slain two years old and under, that he was not a babe, but he was probably two years old or so along those lines. So he's the young child. They come later than, the, of course, the shepherds did that's recorded in the Gospel of Luke. So they came. They said, we've come to worship him who is king of the Jews. They recognized this babe was a king. He, didn't, he wasn't going to become a king. He was already a king. He was a king because he was a king before he was ever born. So he's born a king, and they've come to worship the king, the king of the Jews. So they arrive there, and they find Joseph and Mary and the Lord Jesus Christ together. And the Bible says, and they worshiped him. They didn't worship them. They didn't worship Joseph. They didn't worship Mary. They worshiped him, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they gave unto him three gifts. They gave him the gift of gold, the gift of myrrh, and the gift of frankincense. Now, these three gifts they gave tell me that these wise men were somewhat wealthy. Uh, gold, obviously, was very valuable. And frankincense and myrrh were uh, perfumes or uh, uh, anointing oils uh, that were used quite extensively by the Jews in that particular day. They were very much sought after. They were coveted. And just anybody and everybody didn't have access to it. So they brought their substance, which was gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When you start looking at the value of gold, why is gold so valuable? Well, it is beautiful for one thing. It is scarce. It is quite costly. It's durable. Uh, it will not rust. It will not dissolve. You leave it out in the rain, it will not rust. And you, it can uh, be in a house and the house burned down and you can find whatever gold rings and things like that in there. If anything, once you brush them off, they'll shine even brighter than they did before the fire ever came. It's something that men have valued since the very beginning of time. All the minerals uh, and metals in the earth, gold uh, reigns supreme. When you study the tabernacle, beginning in Exodus chapter 25 to the end of the book of Exodus chapter 40, you're going to find gold all over the place. You're going to find the Ark of the Covenant was made out of shittim wood overlaid with pure gold. You'll find that the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant was made out of pure gold. The cherubims, one on one end and one on the other, that stretched their wings in, uh, toward the middle of that mercy seat, which was God's seat. It was God, that was his seat where he had when he came down from heaven. They were made out of pure gold. And you're going to find there was a table of shining wood overlaid with pure gold where the shoe bread was put. There was 12 pieces or two rows of six. And by the way, frankincense was put on these here, okay? Then you had the golden candlestick made out of pure gold. You had the altar of incense that was made out of shining wood overlaid with pure gold. 
you have a veil going into a tabernacle proper of five pillars with a veil, a veil made out of blue and scarlet and red, and those pillars were made out of shining wood overlaid with pure gold. When you go into the holiest of holies, you got a veil on four pillars, the same thing. There was gold everywhere. We find in the book of Psalm 68, verse 13, a very beautiful picture of the Lord's people. It says, Though you have lain among the pots, yet you shall be as the wings of a dove covered with silver and her feathers with yellow gold. In the word of God, silver is always a picture of purity and redemption and gold is a picture of glory. He says, The day is coming. You'll be just like that dove whose, whose wings are of silver and the feathers on that wing are of pure gold. Revelation 4 and 4, you've got 4 and 20 elders and 4 beasts over there around the throne of God, and they all had on their heads crowns of gold. The last reference to gold is in Revelation chapter 22, when the apostle tells us about a city of gold that has streets of gold. Whether that's little or whether it's not, I'd rather think it's not, the book of Revelation is so symbolic, but it tells us that God places a high value upon that eternal city. That eternal city is a city of gold. The streets are streets of gold. Those wise men brought gold. They brought something very, very valuable. Obviously, they were men of means, and they brought gold, they brought frankincense, and they brought myrrh. When you read the Song of Solomon, you're going to find where myrrh and frankincense are mentioned together four times, and myrrh is mentioned eight times. And myrrh, in particular, was a fragrance, a very wonderful fragrance that uh, people sought after, that they used in a number of different ways. In fact, you come to John chapter 19, you're going to find after the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, we find where Joseph Arimathea has asked for permission for the body of Jesus. He gives, he takes the body down, and he's met by that man by the name of Nicodemus. And Nicodemus brings myrrh and alloys, about a hundred pound weight. And they wrap the body in linen, and they put that, those alloys and that myrrh on the body of the Lord Jesus Christ as was custom for the Jews at the time of burying. Very important. Uh, uh, it was the chief of all spices, by the way, myrrh was. Now, myrrh come from a small, small bush, and frankincense came from a larger tree. Much sought after, much coveted, and desired by people. The wise men, the substance they brought was the very best they had. They brought the gold, the frankincense, and the myrrh, and they gave it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Shortly after this, Mary and Joseph are going to take Jesus and go into Egypt for their safety. Now, it costs money to travel in that day like it costs money to travel in this day. And Mary and Joseph were poor, but God in sending the wise men here gave them some things that could pay the expenses of that trip going and coming. Isn't God good? Isn't God gracious to provide for us in a very wonderful providential way? as he did there when those wise men brought those things and gave to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, let's take a look over here at Luke chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. In Luke chapter 8, you're going to find some women named here. It says there was one was Mary Magdalene, out of whom seven devils were cast. And there was Joanna, and there was Hosanna. And it says, and they ministered unto him, talking about the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples, they ministered unto him of their substance. The text says, honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. Now, you'll find these same women listed in Matthew chapter 27 at the tree of the cross. And here it says, and many women. I don't know how many, but the word many means a lot. And many women there stood afar off which ministered unto him. 
Here in Luke 8, 2, and 3, we have some of them named to us. They ministered to him of their substance. These were women that the Lord had cast unclean spirits and devils out of them. And they're showing their gratitude and their thankfulness for so doing. That, didn't, that wasn't always the case. Do you remember when Jesus Christ, um, when he cleansed ten lepers? How many of them praised him? He cleansed ten lepers. Only one out of ten turned around and gave him any thanks. Leprosy was uh, a disease that people usually call, when somebody had it, the walking dead. And Jesus freely, graciously cleansed all ten, and nine of them went on their way. Only one turned around and praised him. But here are some sisters who are thankful for having unclean spirits cast out of them, Mary Magdalene being the one that had the seven devils, and they have some substance among them, and they're using it to minister to the Lord Jesus Christ and his disciples. Now, don't you think about something just for a minute. Look at the example Jesus set for us right here. Jesus could have easily provided for the needs of him and his disciples miraculously. Didn't Jesus Christ take five loaves and two fishes and bless it to where it fed 5,000 men besides women and children? He multiplied all that. The Lord could have certainly got along quite well without the assistance of anybody. Did he not tell Peter to go down to the Sea of Galilee and cast a hook in there? And the first fish you catch will have a coin in its mouth. And you'd take that coin out of the fish's mouth and you'd go pay the taxes, the tribute money for both you and me. The Lord could have miraculously provided for himself and his disciples, but he chose to do it a different way. Now, among the disciples, there was a man named Judas Iscariot. And Judas bears the bag. He was the treasurer of the group. The disciples had no idea what a treacherous person he was, what a traitor he was going to be. They had no idea. He bare the bag. And I'll mention more about that a little bit later on. But in that bag, we're going to find in John chapter 13, they used the contents of that bag for two things. They used it to supply their needs and to give to the poor. And the money that went in those bag, that bag came from people like Mary Magdalene and those other sisters that ministered unto him of their substance. They honored him with their substance. And they traveled along with him. They went with him. It just wasn't a one-time thing. They traveled right along with him. Again, you see them over here at the foot of the cross in Matthew chapter 27. They honored him with their substance. Jesus could have easily, miraculously provided for him and his disciples without the assistance of anybody, but that's not the way he did it. He set the example of the blessing of giving and receiving. He set the example of, uh, you know, assisting different people here in this life. Jesus did it on a regular basis, but we find that Jesus received this assistance. Jesus received this help. Did he need that help? Could he have got along okay without it? Of course he could have, but he chose to do it and set us an example here of what life's all about and how we should live. Now let's go to Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, there's a woman that comes to where Jesus is at, and Jesus is at the house of a man by the name of Simon, a Pharisee. Now the Lord Jesus Christ didn't get a lot of invites, okay? He just simply didn't. We know Mary, Martha, and Lazarus invited him. We read about that in Luke chapter 10, verse 38. But here we find where a Pharisee, which would be highly unusual for a Pharisee to do this, I somehow really feel like he was sincere in this invitation to the Lord Jesus Christ, invited him for a meal. But there's a woman, her name's not given to us, but she's called a sinner. 
And the Bible tells us that she's a sinner, so we know she was. Somebody said, well, aren't every, isn't everybody a sinner? Yes, we are. Paul tells in the book of Romans, he says, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no exception to this. But when the Bible says somebody's a sinner like this woman, that means she was guilty of public sins. She was guilty of sins of commission. And the public knew it, Simon knew it, and Jesus knew it. And this woman comes up behind the Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, you might wonder how she got in. Well, people's houses that day, usually they, it was in an open-air atmosphere, so to speak. It was not uncommon at all for somebody like uh, this woman to pass by, see somebody, and observe. They especially like to observe the well-known and the wealthy. And so here comes this woman. She, the Bible says when she knew that Jesus was in the house of Simon uh, the Pharisee, she came and brought with her an alabaster box of precious ointment. Now, an alabaster box was a special box uh, that would contain ointment, and it would keep it pure and keep it from becoming corrupted and contaminated. It was a a much uh, prized box. You'll find this used again a little bit later on. She brings an alabaster box of ointment, and she brings where Jesus is at, And she takes that ointment and she's going to anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. She's going to weep and she's going to wash his feet with the tears from her eyes. She wept enough to have enough water to cover his feet to the extent that she could wash his feet with the tears that came from her eyes. Here's a woman that's going to honor the Lord Jesus Christ with her substance. Now it's quite clear that this woman was a woman of the streets. It's quite clear that she was guilty of public sins. No question about it. The Pharisee knew it. The Lord knew it. Nothing was hid from the eyes of the Lord. But I believe she was what we call a repentant sinner. Something had been done for her in her heart. A work of grace had taken place in her heart. And it showed her that she was a sinner. She didn't deny it. But what's the evidence of her being a repentant sinner? Well, one thing, she didn't even feel worthy to be in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ. She stood behind him and she wept so greatly that the tears washed his feet and she took her hair, her glory, and she wiped his feet with it. She took that, that box of precious ointment. No doubt she'd accumulate and saved it from her past, but now she has made a break with her past. Now she's going to look for the future. We're going to find where Simon only saw our past. Jesus saw our future. So what is she going to do now? How is she going to live now? Perhaps she had enough in that box, that alabaster box, to live for a while until she could figure things out. But you know, she's going to use it up right here. She's going to use it up. She's going to anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Simon, the old Pharisee, he looks at the situation. He said, if this man was who he said he was, talking about Jesus... This man was who he said he was. Uh, he would know this woman was a sinner and would not allow her to touch him. Now I want you to notice as we continue on, this is a, not a lesson of the amount of sin. It's a lesson about the awareness of sin. Of the awareness of sin. Because Simon the Pharisee is not aware about his sins. But he's a sinner. This woman's guilty of sins of commission. He's guilty of sins of omission. He's guilty of the sin of pride. And looking down on other people. And the Bible condemns that. So he said this man was who he said he was. He wouldn't allow her to touch him because she is a sinner. And he's basically saying she's a sinner. I'm not. 
I'm not. Her sins were open to the public. His was hid from everyone except one man. They were not hid from Jesus. Not hid from him at all. So the Lord knows what old Simon's thinking. He says, Simon, got a question for you. There are two people, and they both owed a debt. One owed 500 pence, one owed 50 pence. That's 10 times the amount, 50 pence. But neither one had anything to pay. The man who owed 50 couldn't pay it anymore. The man who owed 500 couldn't pay it. But the creditor forgave them both. He says, now, whom do you think will love him the most? He says, well, I guess the one who owed the most. He says, since I've come in here, he says, you gave me no water for my feet. That was common hospitality in that day. When someone come to see you, you provide them with some water where they could wash their feet from their journey. He says, you gave me no water. He said, but this woman right here, she kissed my feet. He says, you gave me no kiss. The Bible teaches us that we're to greet one another with a holy kiss. You gave me no kiss. This woman has been, she's actually kissed my feet. Everything Simon didn't do, this woman did do and did it better. He says, you, get, you didn't anoint my head. This woman has anointed my feet. She has washed my feet, kissed my feet, anointed my feet, and dried my feet. He said to the woman, thy sins be forgiven thee. He said, for whom much is forgiven, much loves. To whom little is given, little loved. He told that woman, he says, now go in peace. Thy faith hath made thee whole. What did this woman receive? She received, first of all, forgiveness, and then she received peace from the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, how do you know her sins forgiven? Jesus said they were. <laughs> if Jesus said they were, they were, right? And the Lord told her to have peace. And you know, if you look at this thing and study it chronologically, you're going to find this took place right after Jesus said something that's recorded in Matthew 11, 27, 28. The Lord said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, and I'll give you, uh, uh, my, yoke, my yoke upon you and learn of me, and you shall receive rest for your souls. A given rest, a received rest. She, no doubt, had heard the Lord speak before. No question about that. She knew him when she saw him. She heard his words, I'm quite convinced, where he said, Come unto me. Nobody else ever told her to do that. Nobody else ever told her to come unto him. Everybody else said, stay away, stay away, stay away. But Jesus said, if you're laboring heavy laden, you come to me and I'll give you rest. She came to the one that told her that and believed that he meant what he said. And he gave her rest. He gave her peace and forgave her her sins. What did she do? Did she honor the Lord with her substance? She certainly did. That ointment, that alabaster box of ointment was very precious. It was very costly. And she was willing to give it up to show her love for the Lord Jesus Christ. She honored the Lord. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase, Solomon says. I'll come over here to the 12th chapter of John, also the 14th chapter of Mark. And you're going to find another woman in the name of Mary. You got Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, you know, two sisters and a brother. And you're going to find where the Lord Jesus Christ is in the house of Simon the leper. 
Now, I know he's a cleansed leper because if he was not a cleansed leper, they wouldn't have been in the house with him. He had to keep his distance. They certainly wouldn't have been there to be contaminated if he was not a cleansed leper. He's a former leper. That's important. He's a former leper. He's been cleansed of his leprosy. He now has opened his house graciously with great hospitality. There's at least 17 people in the house at this time. There's the Lord and there's 12 disciples. That's 13. There's Martha and Mary and Larson. That's 16. And Simon, that's 17. At least 17 people in this house and Martha has provided a meal for everybody. You don't find that too often in this day and age. <laughs> She's providing a meal for everybody. And you'll find everybody keeping to their personalities. Martha was uh, the server, right? As we look back in Luke chapter 10, remember how she was coming about with much serving? But you're going to find Mary keeping her personality because you read about Mary three different times and every time Mary's always at the feet of Jesus. Every time. First of all, in Luke chapter 10, while Martha's coming about with much serving, what's Mary doing? She's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She was honoring Jesus Christ there to hear his words. And then in John chapter 11, the grave of Lazarus, you're going to find where when Jesus gets there on the fourth day, he's first of all met by Martha, and then he's met by Mary, and she falls at his feet. That's a wonderful place to be, at the feet of Jesus. We sing that hymn, down at the feet of Jesus, don't we? That, that hymn uh, harmonizes with God's word. And so now we find her one more time. She's at the feet of Jesus. The Bible says she had an alabaster box of a pound of spikenard, very costly, and we're going to find out it was worth just about a year's wages of a common laborer. I wonder what she was saving it up for. Wonder, wonder what she had in mind. Have you ever just saved a few things, you know? I mean, I always drop my change. I come home and I got a thing and I, whatever change I got, I just put in. And then over time, you'd be amazed kind of how much that accumulates. And then when it gets up, you know, to five or six dollars, well, a little more than that over a period of time. I'm trying to figure, what am I going to use this for? I'm, it's got to be something special, you know? It's like it's almost free, but it's not. But if you hadn't just if I hadn't taken it and put it in there, I'd have wound up spending it somewhere. It just fell through the cracks. But anyway, you know, I kind of think about something big. So I'm thinking she's probably thinking something big. What is she saving this up for to use? Well, you know what? She found not something. She found someone. She found someone she loved. The other woman I'm talking about, see the contrast here. This woman, Mary, is highly esteemed and highly respected. The sinner woman was not. But they both loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And the sinner woman showed her love as a result of Jesus forgiving her for her sins and giving her peace. We're going to find where Mary is showing her love for the fact that she knows shortly after this, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to Calvary to die for her sins. So she's got an alabaster box just like the other woman had. It's got a pound of sp uh, 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 spikenard in it. Very costly, the Bible says. And she's going to take that and she's going to anoint the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with it and wipe his feet dry with the hair of her head, just like the other woman. You know, in John chapter 13, you've got the illustration example of Jesus Christ washing the feet of his disciples. And, uh, but you'll notice one thing there. The disciples never washed the feet of Jesus. When we practice uh, washing the saints' feet, 
One, person A will wash the feet of person B, and person B will wash the feet of person A, right? But in John 13, the Lord Jesus Christ washed the feet of his disciples. They don't wash his feet because his feet didn't, didn't need to be washed. They didn't wash their feet. He didn't wash their feet because they were dirty, dusty. That's not why he washed their feet. He washed their feet to teach them the lesson of service and humility and to teach them, to teach them that they were to be at each other's feet and to teach them in this life here, you know, our feet take us from point A to point B to point C, etc. And our feet can just, just get a little bit dirty from the old world we're living in. And Jesus washed their feet. The master washed the feet of his servants. The king washed the feet of the subjects of the kingdom. The savior washed the feet of the sinners. We find this woman in John, Luke chapter 7 washes the feet of Jesus Christ, not with water in a pan, tears from her eyes. We see this woman here has washed the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ with costly ointment. You know what the reaction of the disciples was about this? Judas Iscariot speaks up. He says, why was this ointment not sold for 300 pence? And Mark tells us, for, says for more than 300 pence. For more than 300 pence and given to the poor. But in John chapter 12, we read where it says, not that G Judas cared for the poor because he was a thief and he bare the bag. No doubt Judas was stealing on a regular basis out of that bag for his own personal use. Judas was a treacherous person. I want you to see the contrast here. The beauty of the sunlight of the experience of, of Mary against the darkness and dark cloud of Judas. Because right after this, Judas is going to go and agree to betray the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. You know what the price of a slave was in the Old Testament day? 30 pieces of silver. The Lord Jesus Christ was the master. Judas was the servant. The servant sold his master for the price of a, of a slave. You got the contrast of the beauty of the bright sunlight of this wonderful act by Mary right here. How wonderful it was. How glorious it was. How beautiful it was. She gave lovingly. She gave lavishly. She gave the very best she had on that occasion right there. Been saving up for a long time. Don't know what she had in mind, but she found the perfect use for it, did she not? When the Savior came and sat there. And I want you to notice two other things. You got Simon the leper and you got uh, her brother, Lazarus, sitting there at that table. Both of them had been delivered from death. Simon the leper. Remember what I told you a while ago when a person had leprosy? That person was known as somebody that was the walking dead. Because there was no normal cure for something like that. Death just awaited them. And they were separated, which is the word death means separation. They were separated. Uh, they were unclean. And so this man is being cleansed. He's been delivered from death. And Lazarus, after he's been in the grave for four days, the Lord Jesus Christ comes to, there, to, to the place. And he tells Martha, he says, roll the stone away. She says, Lord, he's been in there four days. Behold, he stinketh, it's already time for corruption. The Lord said, roll the stone away. When that stone was rolled away, you could see death and you could smell death. But the Lord Jesus Christ spake unto him, personally and individually, said, Lazarus, come forth. And Lazarus came out of that grave immediately, spontaneously, no hesitation, no procrastination, no delay whatsoever. And that's a picture of what happens when a sinner is born of the Spirit of God.
When the Lord Jesus Christ speaks, John 5, 25. Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, the hour is coming, now is, when the dead, that's the person that's dead in trespass and sins, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, not the words of the Son of God, but the voice of the Son of God, and he that liveth, liveth uh, heareth, shall live. That happens every time, effectual every time. We like to call that the effectual call. Now that expression, effectual call, is not in the Bible, but the truth of it is. Just like the word Trinity. The word Trinity is not in the Bible, but certainly the truth of the Trinity is taught from Genesis Revelation. There's three in one. The Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God in three persons. So there's the effectual call taught you find me one place in God's word where God ever born somebody of the Spirit of God and had to do it more than once, you're not going to find it. God doesn't make an effort at it and attempt at it. God just simply does it. He said, Lazarus come forth. He called him personally and individually, and Lazarus came out of that grave. Sitting at that table, you have a man that literally is raised from the dead, and you have another man over here that was the walking dead being cleansed. He's been delivered from death as well. This woman gave the best she had. Judas Iscariot says, why was this not sold? And in Mark, he actually calls it waste. He said, this was a waste. This woman is a waste. We could have been sold for over 300 pence. He didn't care for the poor. John tells us he didn't care for the poor. He was a traitor. Every time you read the name of Judas in the New Testament, it's always Judas who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus defended Mary. He says, let her alone. Now, I got a feeling they let her alone, don't you? The Lord said, let her alone. He says, what she has done, she's done for my burying. She, you read Mark 14 and John 12, you'll find where she poured it on his head and she poured it on his feet. He says, she has anointed my body for the burying. That's why she was doing it. And another thing here, she showed her love for Jesus while he was living. It's amazing how people can love somebody greatly after they're dead who never showed much love while they were alive. Show your love while somebody's living. Let them know you love them. Prove your love. Show your love. Here's a great example of 1 John 3, 18. When the Apostle John said, Let us love not in word only, but in deed and also in truth. Here's a woman who's proven her faith by her words. This is faith in operation right here. Faith in operation. See the contrast between so far the wise men, they were means of, uh, men, uh, uh, means of wealth, and they gave what others perhaps could not give. They honored the Lord with their substance. But here's a sinner woman. She honors the Lord with what substance she had. And I'm sure when she did that, she had nothing left. I imagine the wise men still had some gold, frankincense, and myrrh back where they came from. And here this woman here, Mar uh, Mary, once she uses an alabaster box of ointment on the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, I don't know if she had anything left. But she found someone to show her love to, someone to spend this on, so to speak, rather than something she found someone. Aren't you, aren't you glad about that? Aren't you glad there's someone that you love? Aren't you glad there's somebody who has taken you by the hand on a daily basis and led you along life's journey? 
Aren't you glad there's somebody who was willing to leave heaven's pure world and come down here to this, world, this earth and to live the life you could not live and suffer on your behalf and lay down his life on Calvary and be willing to lay his life down and willing to take it again after three days and three nights and then after spending 40 days upon the face of this earth, he ascended with right into glory. Aren't you glad he's on the right hand of God and making intercession for you right now? Aren't you glad he redeemed you from your sins when he hung upon the cross of Calvary? Aren't you glad he justified you and reconciled you and paid the atonement price? Aren't you glad God loved you so much he gave his son to do all that for you? And then in a providential way here in this life, how the Lord has sent, just gently led us along the pathway of life. You've got to live. See, a lot of times when God's leading you, you've got to live a few more years down the road to look back to see it. And that's kind of a shame, isn't it? That's kind of a shame. You need to recognize it while it's going on. But you know, I see people say, well, I look back in my life and I see how the Lord led me and directed me and guided me. Well, what about the present? What about the present? What great love the sinner woman had for Jesus in Luke 7. What great love Mary had for the Lord Jesus Christ in Mark 14. What great love Hosanna and, uh, Hosanna and, uh, uh, and, and uh, Mary Magdalene and them had, whom the Lord had cast out those devils. Again, every time you read the name Mary Magdalene, it always tells you the Lord cast seven devils out of her. What love they had. She was the first one to the, to the open uh, tomb of the Lord Jesus Christ, the empty tomb, brother. Was she not? She was the first one there. What love he had for them and what love they had for the Lord Jesus Christ. Honor the Lord with thy substance. The first fruits, who increase. And your barns will be filled with plenty, and your presses will be bursting out with new wine. The Lord will prosper and bless you uh, in ways beyond human imagination. Let's take a look at another woman found up here in Luke chapter 21, and also Mark chapter 12. Here, the Bible is going to tell us something about a poor widow woman. A poor widow woman. And this is just a short account, but it's packed with great truth. It says the Lord was observing the treasury at the time. And he saw many come by and casting into the treasury. And then he saw this poor widow woman come along. And this poor widow woman cast two mites in there. Now, you know what a mite is? It's not an insect. All right? She's going to cast two mites into that treasury. A mite was one-seventh of a piece of brass money. When it says they were casting their money into the treasury, the center of your Bible will tell you is a piece of brass money. Okay? She's got two mites, which is worth one-seventh of a piece of brass money. One-seventh. That word two mites there means or a farthing. Remember what the Lord said in Matthew chapter 10, are not two sparrows sold for what? For a farthing? Sparrows were cheap. <laughs> they were cheap. You could buy two of them for a farthing, okay? Uh, so she's casting in two mites. And the Lord makes this astonishing statement. He says she cast more in than they did. Well, I've just told you the mites worth one-seventh of a piece of brass money. They were casting pieces of brass money in there. She cast two mites, but the Lord says she cast in more than they did. He said, because they cast in of their abundance, 
but she cast in of all her living. I mean, she didn't have nothing left. She didn't have nothing left. She cast it all in. And from that point of view, she gave more than the others did. Honor the Lord with thy substance and the first fruits of thine increase. And thy barn shall be filled with plenty. And thy precious shall burst out with new wine. The wise men honored him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. The son of woman honored him with an alabaster box of ointment. Mary honored him with an alabaster box of one pound of spikenard. The widow woman honored him by giving her two mites. Those women in Luke chapter 8 honored him with their substance. Well, I, and we're not told what that was. But it had to have been something they could use to live on from day to day and day, you know, put in that bag that Judas had. It's just amazing what God can do for us. Let's go back and look at this verse in uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. We ought to have the great desire in our hearts to be involved in the good works that God has given to us in the Word of God. But he says you can abound in it. I love 1 Corinthians 15, 58. But be ye steadfast, unmoved, always abounding in the work of the Lord. We need to honor the Lord in every way we possibly can. As I've already said, you're honoring him this day, but being in his house, he says, forsake not the sin of yourselves together as the manner of some is. I beseech you therefore by the mercies of God to present your body a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. When you come to the house of God, you're honoring your great God, your heavenly Father, your precious Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. When you sing those hymns of adoration, amazing grace, how sweet the sound, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds. Poor, weak, and worthless though I am, I have an almighty friend. Isn't that a great hymn? John Newton wrote Amazing Grace. He wrote Poor, Weak, and Worthless. Uh, that, you know, that's not going to gain a lot of attention out here in the denominational world. It really isn't. Poor, weak, and worthless. What do you mean, poor, weak, and worthless? Well, that's exactly how John Newton felt. That's how these women, I think, felt. They were poor, they were weak, and they were worthless. But they said, I have a rich, almighty friend. I got a rich friend. <laughs> I got a rich friend. His name is Jesus. And he's promised to supply me with all my needs along the journey of life. Honor the Lord with thy substance. I, I can't help but think of this true story. I know I've, I've told this to you before, but there are some here that haven't heard it, I know. And there's this preacher... For, I knew, and he, he, was, he was really down. He, he, had a, he was having a hard time making ends meet. And this other man knew all about it, and he sent him a check. The man went to the mailbox and got the check out, and it was an eye-popping amount. <laughs> okay. And, and he, he went to the man, and he said, I, I, just, I just can't accept this. He said, this is way too much. I appreciate it. And everything he said, but I, I, just, I just can't accept this. And he says, you go to the bank as fast as you can. You cash it as fast as you can. It took me four trips to the mailbox just to mail it. 
That's what the devil will do, right? The first thing you got in your mind, the first thing you know, it gets starts dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. You ever done that? You know, you just have something in your mind, a certain amount you, you're going to do, and the longer it takes for you to do it, why, it just keeps dwindling and diminishing and diminishing and diminishing. <laughs> Go with your first impulse. <laughs> the good Lord will be with you. Honor the Lord, but you're accepted. God is honored in obedience. God is honored when people make a profession of their faith and step out and declare to the Lord's people their love for the Lord Jesus Christ and desire to enter into the pathway of discipleship and to follow him in gospel obedience and in baptism, which symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know of anything that honors him hardly any more than that other than the Lord's Supper that entitles a person to once they have made that profession of faith. The Lord loved us. You know what? Uh, say this in closing. That sinner woman in Luke chapter 7, she wasn't ashamed to show her love. We find Mary, she wasn't ashamed, was she? She wasn't ashamed to show her love. The Lord was willing to show his love for us in ways we could never even come close to matching. May God bless you and keep you and uh, we're going to select a hymn.